think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. So they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like, in Argentina for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matter look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr, my co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 394 of Low Limit Football on this 15th of July, 2023. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, the FIFA Women's World Cup is set to kick off this week. The USA is knocked out of the Gold Cup after their 1-1 draw and penalty shootout against Panama. Declan Rice finally makes his big money move, and Christian Pulisic finally leaves Chelsea for AC Milan. We're going to discuss that move and much more with our special guest, Martino Puccio from the State to play podcast will be joining us in just a little bit but first let me get my co-host in here mr roberto rojas what's going on my man very well joe very well here we are obviously right in the middle of july it's hard to believe that this time next month the premier league is going to start it, it almost feels like you know and it's funny to say this that right when we're about to you know relax for our summer vacations and, and just not get too much football involved it just continues to go on and on and on like you said the gold cup was happening the women's world cup is going to start in a couple of days we have some friendlies that are going on with some teams making a lot of moves uh, in the summer transfer window and then before you know it the european leagues are going to start again so it's uh, it's just been nonstop. and of course there's a, a little argentine playing in, in the united states in the next <laughs> couple of weeks as well so yeah it's been very busy for what's supposedly supposed to be a an off summer because of the World Cup being moved, but it, it just it continues on and on. I, I, I worry to myself, and you know, I say this as someone that works in this industry for quite some time, and of course, you and I have covered the sport for almost a decade now. Yeah, it's it, it feels like it's it's a lot. It's good in a way that there's something on, mm -hmm. but it just feels like it's too much. Yeah, don't you think? Oh yeah, I've been saying that for a while, and and obviously this. This year's World Cup, Men's World Cup, uh, has really kind of taken that to the next level. The way they not to mention schedule. also the the COVID, you know, kind of really messing it up as yeah, well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, the the last three or four years, the the footballing schedule has gotten turned on its ear, um, <clears throat> and we know that. Uh, yeah, and and you start to wonder. I think I think you're kind of hinting at some of the things that I've said recent, you know, not recently, but overall is, um, you know, what kind of mileage are you putting on players' legs? Right. Well, how much how much more can you ask of them? Um, you know, that that's 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 where we uh, that's where, where the concern is, is, um, you know, what's what what does this do to the player long term? So, you know, well, those things remain to be seen. Um, are we going to see more injuries? Maybe. Um, but we've talked about that. You know, we, we've seen we've started to see that creep up a little bit here and there. And it was kind of an effect of the World Cup. So but it is nice to like you said, it's nice to be able to watch um, to have football on almost daily these days. Uh, and, and catch a game here, a game there. And, you know, to your point, um, Champions League, Europa League and European Europa conflict, you know, conference league, um, all playing qualifiers this week, if you know, believe it or not. So honestly, it's, it's just been, it's a lot. <laughs> it's nonstop. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're smaller teams or minor teams from smaller, smaller leagues and that sort of thing, but they're still playing. So the exactly. 2023, yeah, yeah. the 23, 24 season has already kicked off. So, um, my friend, uh, we have a trivia question and it is your honor this week. So if it you is. would yeah, yes. go for it. So I'm going to go in this kind of this notion of transfer window. I mean, obviously 
you know, this is always it's always interesting to see like some of these players go at ridiculously amount of, of fees, but then you realize some of the transfer values that a lot of these players are based at. So that's my question for you today: is not give. I'm not going to ask you for the top ten most valuable players according to transfer markets, mm-hmm. but because we see so many players from so many different countries, my question to you, yeah, to you is. How many different nationalities are represented in the uh, transfer market's most valuable players in the world? So I just need a number of countries, and if you can give the countries as well, that would be great as well. Um, Now let me ask you this. uh, How many are in that top – are we talking about a top 10? Are we talking about a top 50? Top 10. No, 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 top 10. Top 10. Um, Yeah, so I want you to – in the top 10, how many different nationalities are represented in the most valuable players in okay. the world by transfer market? Okay, I've, I mean, I've got, I've got two countries already off the top of my head that are, I mean, obviously layups, but uh, but we'll have to definitely think of some more, um, and we'll give you that answer at the end of the show. So, opening thoughts, my friend, uh, and and obviously being an American-based podcast, um, we're going to be American, and we're going to talk about Captain America and Christian Pulisic. Uh, Christian Pulisic this week makes his 17.1 million pound uh, move from Chelsea to AC Milan. Uh, I know we're going to dive into this a little bit deeper with Martino once we get him on board here. And, um, you know, it, it's it's a move that was a long time coming. Uh, you know, his playing time at Chelsea has been uh, sporadic at best. Uh, you know, obviously complicated by injuries, but, uh, you know, at the same time, He's dealt with, what, three or four different coaches um, so far in this past year, I believe. Uh, another coach coming in now and making wholesale changes. We've seen Chelsea just kind of selling like crazy in this transfer window. And it was time for Pulisic to kind of get out and move somewhere else. Now, he moves to an AC Milan club that, um, you know, is is been very active in this transfer window. They pick up his teammate Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Uh, actually, AC Milan has made so far, according to The Guardian, £22 million pounds, uh, in this window, having sold Sandro Tonali, probably their biggest jewel, uh, at £55 million pounds to Newcastle. They've brought in a couple of other players, Luca Romero from Lazio on a free transfer, Marco Sportiello, they're coming in as a backup keeper from Atalanta. They, you know, they've made a few different changes but I think that, you know, not I think, I do know the biggest move so far is Christian Pulisic. Um, the question to you, and I, and I think I want to also pose this to Martino when he comes on. Um, Christian Pulisic kind of plays in that uh, that left wing role. We've seen him do that for the U.S. men's national team. We've seen him do it at Chelsea. We've seen him do it at Dortmund. Uh, that uh, that position is occupied by Rafa Leao. Uh, I know that uh, Stefano Pioli has said that uh, Pulisic, he's looking to play Pulisic more in like the number 10, um, which makes sense. It's also a position that he's played before. Um so my question to you is, what do you think the future holds for Christian Pulisic? I, I, I'm going to leave the Milan part out because I definitely want to hit that stuff with Martino. Um, but what does what does an AC Milan with Christian Pulisic look like for you? It looks like, for me at least, a second opportunity. Now, I know it's kind of weird to say that because I think, you know, someone like Christian Pulisic, who is ultra-talented, I think he um, obviously is going to be doing a lot of, you know, it's going to be a lot of pressure on him. But I think ultimately this is a challenge for him that hopefully can go off well because you look at his age, he's 24, he's going to turn 25 at the um, in, in the next few months. Mm-hmm. And I think he's right there in his prime, I would say, maybe not even there or just closely there. So you want a player that is very much consistent. Now, yeah. I think, you know, when it comes to Christian Pulisic, he's in a, He's in a unique position because he's obviously going to be the flag bearer for a country that's going to host the World Cup in three years' time. And I think, you know, for someone like Christian Pulisic, for Greg Berhalter, and for all the United States players and fans, they want to see the best Pulisic out there. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, going into the club form in a bit, yeah, I think it's it's unfortunate because we, we couldn't see the best of him in Chelsea because there's just been so much mishap. Of course, he's been important in vital games, like, you know, winning the Champions League and, you know, being important in that end. But I think, like you said, you know, his consistency has always been the issue. He's, he's always been injured. Even, even that, even going back to his Dortmund days, mm. I think the good thing going for him is that that pressure is not going to be given too much to him 
from moving to one big club to another. He's he's played at three big clubs already in his career, Dortmund, Chelsea, and now Milan. So the question for me is, of course, where Pioli is going to put him in because he, we know he can play in multiple multitude of positions. The issue is, of course, that he plays in mainly his best football, I would say, in Rafael Leal's position. Now, Rafael Leal is not going to get dropped. No, <laughs> we all know that. No. So where do you put him? Do you put him in the middle? Do you see him supporting the likes of a, a Ben Acer? Or do you see him on the right, you know, being there to also help and, and support um, the, the defense in the midfield? That's the big question. I'm curious to see what Martino thinks about it personally, because I think for someone like him in a unique position, that also allows to attract a lot of attention to Syria and to Milan, who are a historic club in itself. But now getting an American there, I think they're going to put a lot more eyeballs in. I think for from Chelsea's perspective, I don't think they'll lose him too much because I think you still have useful players that, you know, are very much important. Now, you know, you look at you talk about someone like Raheem Sterling or Mikhail Mudrich or anyone else, I think. Are they upgrades to Pulisic? I would say so. But I think when you look at kind of what's the position that he was in, it was only a matter of time that he was going to be unfortunately replaced. So Overall, I think I feel very much confident that he can succeed at Milan. Um, I think Stefano, I think Pioli is able to hopefully get the best out of him, and you know you could see him in that kind of ambition of saying that he wanted to join Milan. You know he, that he rejected a lot of clubs out there, big clubs as well, to go and play for for him. So I would say personally, I think he'll he'll succeed from the get go. Mm-hmm. But I think just because of him being that kind of player that, you know, you don't know what to expect from him, he would have to get ready for the get-go. It's not going to go in and say he's going to have to adapt to it um, with time. No, I think he has to really adapt from the get-go and, and be important because this is this is the gamble that Milan have made. They, they spent that money, they're getting the money that they got from Tenali to, that went to Newcastle, so... This is this is their big signing for now. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens in the next few weeks if they get anyone bigger. But for now, this is this is the um, this is the major one that I think can hopefully help Milan uh, contend for not just Serie A but also in, in different domestic and international titles as well. Yeah, and you know the, the the talk is there are a couple more moves on the horizon, and I, I'm going to leave those out for for Martino in a, in a few minutes. Um, the common thought here on Christian Pulisic is that he is, uh, he's coming in as the Brahim Diaz replacement, right? Uh, you know, Brahim Diaz has loan ended. He goes back to Real Madrid. He's staying there. Madrid are going to keep him in house. So the, the, the common thinking is that as an attacking midfielder or an attacking winger, Pulisic is Brahim Diaz's replacement. He's taken on Zlatan Ibrahimovic's number 11, um, which is, you know, not for nothing. It's ambitious. Uh, you know, because those are those are very very big boots to fill, right? In in Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But I mean, obviously, Pulisic's up for the challenge. The questions that I have are: is is he going to be able to be a, a normal starting? You know, in the normal eleven week in and week out. Is this something where he comes in? You know, you know, takes the game off. You know, maybe comes on as a super sub. You know, given his injury history. Do they do they treat him with kid gloves or do they put him out there and say, hey, you know, get to it? You know, looking at the the Serie A in general, um, much more tactical of a, of a league. It is it can be just as physical as the Premier League. So these are the things that you, you have to question. How will Christian Pulisic adapt to that? He's played in a tactical league in Germany. Uh, he's played in a physical league in the Premier League now. Italy kind of puts both those things together a little bit we've seen lately. So how does he fare in, in that type of setup, I think, is, is going to be one of the big keys. And if he flourishes, um, can his body take the beating? Because if he flourishes, there's no way Pioli takes him out of the lineup, right? So if he if he does succeed and he does very, very well and he contributes and, 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 is, and is an integral part of AC Milan as they move through the Serie A in the Champions League this year, can his body handle the the stress? Can his body handle the the pressure and the you know the day in and day out of what that type of competition looks like? Because Chelsea have had that competition and and he's and he's come up injured. So now we have to worry about what they can do. Now, having said that, um, you know it, it's funny. I've been reading. I think I told you, Roberto, that I've been reading Soccernomics. Um, I, you know, I started reading it on vacation, and. Excuse me. AC Milan is, you know, according to the book from what I've read so far, is one of like the better teams when it comes to 
acclimating players, bringing them on, setting them up, taking care of them, taking care of their families. Um, you know, the, the metrics of footballing, not only on the pitch, but off the pitch as well. Uh, AC Milan is one of the better teams uh, for that in the world. So they've been on this on this game for years. And I think uh, I think this is probably one of the best places for Christian Pulisic to go because of those types of things as well. The ability to acclimate a player to a city and, and um, you know, and get moving, I think I think is a big deal. I think Milan is also a nice fit for him as a city. Uh, you know, from Hershey, Pennsylvania is only a couple hours from Philadelphia and New York City. So, you know, from from his childhood, he'll be familiar with very, very big cities. London, obviously, is a big city as well. But um, Milan, to me, um, and my father used to say this, Milan is New York. So I think, you know, culturally, he'll be very familiar with the surroundings of Milan. Uh, I, I think this all these all play into success for Christian Pulisic, in my opinion. I think that I think that he will do well. And I think uh, I, I think hopefully that he'll bring that success over in three years and uh, and succeed at the World Cup. And I know as Americans, we want to see that happen as well. So I think this is the perfect spot for Christian Pulisic to be. I, I think uh, I think he'll do very well here. And, you know, can his body handle the rigors of playing week in and week out in the Serie A and the Champions League and Coppa Italia and all the other competitions that come along with this? That remains to be seen for for Christian. So. Let's table our actually. Let's not table our discussion in uh, on this topic. Let's continue it with uh, certainly somebody that is going to be an expert in this um, in this topic. Um, Martino Puccio from the State of Play podcast. Let's get him in here to join us now. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from the State of Play podcast, Martino Puccio. Martino, welcome back. It's always great to catch up with you and, and have you on the show. Uh, Roberto and I were just talking about Christian Pulisic's move from Chelsea to AC Milan. Uh, you know how that would affect uh, Christian Pulisic, um, but I, I kind of left the Milan part of it out a little bit because I wanted your opinion. Um, you know, because I know that Milan is something very, very close to you. So, from a Milanista point of view, what what do you think of this move? Um, and how does Christian Pulisic help AC Milan? Yeah, so I guess I I have to take my American cap off for this for a second. Um, listen. Um, there's positional needs up front with this team. There's no denying that. Um, the only person that people are scared of is Olivier Giroud whenever the ball's in the air, and then Rafael Leal for 90 minutes. There's no one else that really struck fear into the opponents on the attacking side of things. You know this. I mean, even I, I know I know we've been beating up on Juve recently, Joe, but like still, like overall, like you saw it in the Champions League semifinal, there were massive holes there and nothing of any threat that teams should have been worried about with Pulisic he brings that versatility he's not going to be playing in his true position on the left he even mentioned that yet again in his press conference uh at Milan for his introduction um but anyone that has followed him over the course of his career knows he's best on the left but again in my opinion if you take out Mbappe um and he's only second to Vinicius Jr uh Rafael Leal in terms of best left wingers in the world um and so with that you know, you have to find another position for him. I think Pulisic is very underrated as a number 10. He has the technical ability to do all of this. Um, he's capable of playing on the right. That's where he thrived at Dortmund at times as well. We saw him all over the place at Chelsea, but that's more reflective of how chaotic Chelsea was. Not really that they preferred him to play over there. They couldn't figure anything out. So I think judging of what happened at Chelsea last season is silly because you could talk about negatives for any player on that team last year. Um, but what he's going to bring is definitely the second best technical ability, in my opinion, of a current player um, that is in that attacking area. I think Giroud is just different given his age right now and what he's able to give you over the course of 90 minutes. But with Pulisic, there isn't someone more versatile outside of Rafael Leal. <clears throat> and so for that, you've you've seen everything in this 4-2-3-1 formation that Pioli is going to want to play him as the number 10. I think on occasion um, he could slot in on the left. We'll see what happens with Divock Origi and Ante Rebic as well because they occupy the left side as backups. But I think there's a likelihood that both are gone this summer, um, especially Rebic. So with that, Pulisic is looking like your number 10 starter um, with the first week, especially with Brahim Diaz on his way out and he's at Real Madrid now. CDK situation is in flux, so we'll see what happens there. I think he can get minutes as the number 10 or even slot him in on the, on the right wing as well because he's played over there. Um, that's kind of been what's been in question with him. And so with all those question marks, 
it just leads you to believe. And, and Roberto and I have talked about Luca Romero as well. But like the way Pioli gives minutes to very young players, it's kind of unlikely that he gets enough minutes that would supplant Christian as the number 10. So you're looking at someone who's just been a reserve at Chelsea and kind of in flux over there. to the number 10 at Milan, which is a massive jump, you know, you know, whatever people might have their opinions on Chelsea. But I think we all know when you're the number 10 at Milan in general, doesn't matter what era you're in. That's a massive job to have and responsibility to take over. So, yeah, you're looking at Pulisic being the number 10 of AC Milan. And that's something if you told me six months ago or even a year ago, I would have been floored at the idea of it. Um, but it's a it's the reality right now. And so it's very exciting times. Um, for U.S. men's national team fans and just in general for Milan fans, you know, you get someone who's just very talented on a technical basis. But the biggest question mark remains, does he stay healthy enough over the course of time? And uh, that's the ultimate question with him. I, I think as well, not just that as well, Martino, we, we spoke about him a, a couple of days ago just about him i think as well and i think joe you can obviously go in if you want to it's that whole notion of can americans really demonstrate that they can indeed in for lack of a better word ball out for for a big team now obviously they've played ballistics case he's played for three big teams or he's gonna play for three big teams but i think now when like you said it's a perfect analogy that you use he's the number 10 of milan that's a huge responsibility for any player in the world, regardless of nationality. So I'm curious in, you know, I'd like you to kind of just go back on that. Just that kind of, in a way, perhaps motivate someone like Christian to, to understand that, hey, I want to change the way that Americans, that people view Americans. And, and I think if I can succeed at Milan in this way, then this whole perception can definitely be changed just like that. Yeah. So like, I mean, it's a couple of things, right? So <laughs> What, the way Milan, Milanisti view uh, Americans right now is a little, I think it's jaded might be the best word for it because of ownership and the way they've been handling things recently. Um, and the only other two Americans that they've had have been Serginio Dest, which was an abject disaster this past season. But that was to bring him in as like a third right back and the occasional right wing, you know, like just didn't make sense overall. Getting paid a lot of money. It was a loan deal. And then the other one is the infamous Aguchi on Yewu <laughs> um, tenure at Milan, where he ended up fighting Zlatan due to reports. And then, uh, you know, his injury completely changed the course of his uh, career. So those two were failures. But again, I'd like to also mention to people completely different than what Christian is. Christian is, without a doubt, the biggest U.S. star and the best player right now in terms of accomplishments and, you know, technical ability and all those things. So we've talked about it at length, actually, just the three of us, um, because I don't know too many other U.S. men's national team fans that also, you know, watch Serie A uh, at the amount that we do. Um, and, and so with that, I think personally, I might be biased, but if you look historically, this is the biggest job that Christian has ever had in his career. Um, there's more pressure with this than being a reserve at Chelsea. No disrespect. I think the move was bigger at the time because of the price tag. But in terms of just like positional demand, um, eyeballs on you um, week in, week out, like good luck finding another job that Christian has had that was bigger than this. I'm sorry. Dortmund is not a bigger club. The role that he had there was not bigger. And I think Milan are a bigger club than Chelsea, um, especially historically. Whatever the past 15 years, Chelsea have been more successful. But the fact is this. The number 10 at Milan has more pressure than when you're a rotating offensive player at Chelsea. There's just no denying it. It's not, it's not even close. Um, and with that, Christian has the ability to change the perception of Milan over here, stateside despite the fact that we're still a massively um, viewed club. And then on top of it, how Americans are viewed and players this side of the world. Because even if you want to look at Mexican players, um, even, uh, excuse me, Canadian players as well, there hasn't really been players that have stepped into Milan at this point. I think like an Alfonso Davies has completely changed the perception of Canadian players and even North American players to an extent at Bayern because he starts as Bayern as a left back. Like, they got rid of Lucas Hernandez then, too, right? Like, because that that's reflective of how good Alfonso Davies is, is that they're willing to get rid of a player that they paid around $80 million for. Um, so to have that, and then Christian entering the prime of his career, and, and again, from a marketing perspective, too, 2026, he's still going to be at Milan unless it's an absolute disaster of a transfer. Like, 
he is going to be the guy when this tournament is over here. Joe, you know this. You saw mm-hmm. World Cup 1994. There's a, it's, it's unparalleled. There's nothing that has ever been like that, especially like Alexi Lalas was playing for, I believe, Pescara at the time um, in the 90s for Italy. That's still nothing compared to what this is, um, especially a player that's been in the Champions League since a teenager. Um, we've never seen that before. So um, I don't know what to expect. I just hope it goes better than the past two American transfers. I think it will. Um, but yeah, man, just the sky is the limit with this in terms of marketing, in terms of on the pitch um, stuff. So I, it just overall, it's just so exciting for many uh, reasons and different perspectives. Um, I'm sure you guys love it as USA fans as well. Like to have a player like this at a club like this in, a, in an opportunity, it's just still there's still nothing like it. Like I can't. You know, like Adams and Aronson going to Leeds is like nice. It's one thing. But but for this, maybe I'm biased, but like there isn't like I think Timothy Weah, unfortunately, I think Allegri's situation is going to make him like poor. But like that's still a great move. And I think what McKenney's opportunity was was also a great move as well. But this this opportunity, what Christian is, what he means at the club he's going to off a Champions League semifinal. Man, I just like this is so exciting. Just if you look at it from a U.S. men's national team perspective, I, th- I think it's incredible. Yeah, you know, Martino, I, I want to jump in because I want to basically I'm, I I agree with you on I'm almost every point. I mean, this is this is probably right now the biggest um, not probably this is the biggest name in American soccer, right? Making a move to one of the biggest clubs in the, in in Europe. Uh, it is it, he's moving from literally going from small to medium to large when you go from Dortmund to Chelsea to AC Milan, uh, you know, and, and yeah, I know premier league fans will probably, you know, come at me because I'm saying that. It, 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 what's that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's generational. Yeah. Like kids, kids younger than me, like they're not, they're not going to understand that. You yeah. know what I mean? But you're, I think you're right. Like how many, yeah, but it's, it's huge. Milan's a huge every, team. Like group, yeah. every age group that's out there. Like, I'm sorry, like Milan, Milan's bigger. Like it's not, we can't just go off of the past 15 years. You know what I'm saying? Like, I agree with you guys. Like this. It's not even close. It's, yeah. You know, AC Milan is a giant, uh, you know, and they have been for so long. I mean, you know, are, are they are they the Italian giants? I mean, you and I can argue with that. I Juve, <laughs> for me, domestically, Juve is a bigger club, you know, a more successful club than AC Milan. But yeah. when, when you're talking about the world stage, I mean, it's AC yeah. Milan. The, the only, for me, at that point, when you talk about the world stage, the only club that's bigger than AC Milan for me is Real Madrid. You know that that's it. You, you look at all. What's Barca up? and United have edged in terms of popularity. I think we've been edged by a few clubs for sure. Sure, sure but, but if you you take in success, yeah, I yeah. Mean, come on. So yeah. I mean, and so for him to to be the number ten at you know what is arguably the second biggest club in the world, um, mm. you know it's it's massive. It's massive. I mean, it, it dumps a lot of pressure on Pulisic's shoulders um, if you think about it. But I think I think he's up for it. He's been up for that pressure since he was eighteen. You know, I, this is not this is he's not unaccustomed to pressure or playing on the big stage. I mean, he's been there. So this is, um, you know, th- I think this is a great opportunity for him. Um, I agree with you also that, you know, the Aguchi and Yewu thing was an abject failure. Um, Dest was unfortunately a failure as well, because I think it was just, you know, square peg round hole kind of thing where he just didn't fit into AC Milan. Um, you know, he third. Would, Back in our system, and he's like supposed to prove himself at twenty one. Like it just was. I don't know. It was a. It was a bad idea. I think it was a panic move at the end of the deadline. That's what that was. Yeah. Um, and I think he accepted it because it wasn't Barca. Because Barca was just even worse for him, which is crazy to say. But yeah. yeah. And and I was telling Roberto, uh, you know, just before you came on, that you know this. When you look at the leagues that Christians played in, um, you, you can describe the Bundesliga as kind of a tactical league. I mean, they, they do play with quite a bit of speed, but is there's a, there's a great deal of uh, tactical ability in that league. You come to the Premier League, there's a great deal of physical ability. That the Premier League for me is a much more physical league than the Bundesliga, right? Um, ta- right. Technically, technically, uh, excluding Manchester City, probably not as savvy as the Bundesliga, but um, you know, but certainly tactics are there. But I think that the physicality of the Premier League is is something that um, that appeals to many people. You come to Italy now, and Italy for me is kind of a mix these days. It's it's a mix of that tactical play and the physical play. So, um, how does he handle that style of play? I think is going to be very very interesting because I think that style of play will will 
help him, especially if he gets the, the minutes that we expect him to get. Um, I think it will help him to prepare for a World Cup where you can see so many variations of play that um, that he could succeed against all shouldn't be going back to the LA Galaxy. Yeah, no. The, I don't agree with Landon. Yeah, no, silly comment. No, I agree. I think you're 100% spot on with that. Like, I mean, there's – and every player has said this too that has played in this league, has constantly said – and Cristiano Ronaldo, the most recent one being that, this is the hardest league to score goals in. If you're able to score goals in Serie A, you could score goals anywhere. Um, if you can contribute here, you can contribute anywhere. Just very much similar to the Sinatra saying of of New York. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Um, might not be the best league in the world anymore, but just in how difficult it is tactically to adjust to the league. Physically, I agree with you as well, because like physically, I think you have your Milans of the world, right? That are, you know, high pressing team. Um, the tactics are pretty sound as well, but just... Overall, like then you have like an Allegri Juve based team where it's very defensive. It's very hard to score on them um, if if they were to score first, especially um, or even in zero zero draws. I God bless you for the upcoming season. How are you going to have to watch that? Um, and then again, yeah, man, I mean, just it's going to be a total adjustment for him as well. So I'm curious to see, you know, because, again, he has to adjust to the number 10 spot in this formation. How does he do? over the first few weeks or so. And there's a lot of games. Milan have a very difficult schedule to start the season. I believe we play six of the top teams within the first 10 weeks on top of the Champions League. So that's going to be, he's going to have to step up almost immediately for them. Um, So I'm very excited for that. It was nice that they got him in early prior to this U.S. tour where they're coming over here. But they're not going to be seeing us on the East Coast. It's going to be Vegas and L.A. Um, So unfortunately, I'm not making those trips. Um, but yeah, man, I, I agree with you there, too. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see how he adjusts at that point. Now, Martino, I, of course, you know, the fact that Milan, of course, have made this move and they made some other moves as well. I think the big question is what's next for them. And this ties into my next question about, you know, sure. the positions that Milan need. One of the big names and, you know, kind of two of the big names, I would say, that have kind of been linked to Milan. Uh, that, of course, you know, keeping it yeah. to the American connection is Yunus Musa and Florian Balogun. Is that still something that could indeed happen? Or do you feel that maybe it's still, yeah. you know, possibility of somewhere oh. else they go? Yeah. So this morning, Tijani Reiners has basically agreed and the clubs have agreed. AC Alkmaar and Milan have agreed to a fee of 20 million. Um, so Reinders is, is going to be coming to Milan. Um very similar to what Musa is in that capacity, because at this point, Milan still need to replace Frank Cassie, which is the, the central defensive midfielder role. Musa at times has been slotting in there, but we all know as fans, that's not necessarily his spot. Maybe he'll get better over time, but he picks up way too many yellow cards and is too inexperienced in that role for that. And the fee that was kind of being floated with Valencia is similar to what Musa has been going for. Uh, sorry, that Reinders went for. So I don't think that's going to happen, unfortunately. Maybe it gets revisited. Um, we'll see. I don't think Milan are going to be spending around $20 million for a third midfielder that isn't a centrally defensive-minded player. So I think you can cross that out. As far as Balogun goes for, I had Tom Bogart on the channel yesterday with myself and Matt Santangelo. And he was kind of talking about a fee floated around 30 to $40 million. Really difficult to see what Milan will be having with that. I think they'll have to have another sale or two with this. Junior Macias being one of those names that could be uh, sold out there um, to be funding stuff. Ante Rebic is one of those as well. They still have a ton of money left over from the, from the um, excuse me, Tornali sale. So it's been a little different. So like I, I kind of tweeted it out this morning. Uh, the rumor was floated prior to the Tonali sale, 40 to 50 million uh, euro budget. But Milan have made the Ruben Loftin-Cheek sign-in. Um, uh, the Pulisic signing, and then obviously Reinders now, if you don't account bonuses yet, because bonuses don't really hit till the end of next season, so you have to account for it in another year. They're around 56 million euro right now. And so that's only 6 million more than what would have been around the budget that was floated. And then the Tonali sale fuels more. So what does Milan do with that? They need a defensive midfielder, they need a right winger, they need a striker, um, and then they need a backup left back. So we'll see what, how they invest. It, it depends on the price that Arsenal put out there. It, it's tough because of what the striker market is. I don't think they settle for anything under 35 to 40 million. Um, with that, does Milan have to say to themselves, do we pay the 40 million now 
teams are hesitant because he just turned 22. He's looked great with the national team. I think he's easily looked like the best striker that we've had in a very long time, um, especially within the past eight years or so, in my opinion. So with that, it's kind of like, do Milan pay up? Is Arsenal willing to maybe potentially accept an obligation to buy? There's been the Alvaro Morata floated rumors. I, I know you're more tapped in a La Liga, Roberto, but... These release clauses have been very odd. We don't know what Juve is going to do as well. Like, does Inter get involved in that? There's been Taremi because now the rumors this morning is that Joe's Juve is going to go be taking uh, Lukaku if they sell uh, Vlahovic. Um, So Inter's completely out on him. So there's just going to be, it's like a domino effect of strikers, right? So like if one team gets one, then that means the options are limited to an X amount of guys. I would say this, out of the two players mentioned, Balogun is probably the most likely. I don't see Musa at this point with Reinders. Um, If we get Musa, that would still be awesome. But tactically wise, I don't think it makes sense with the defensive midfield they're missing. They still don't have one. Loftus-Cheek better closer to goal. Same thing with Reinders. They have Krunic as well. Benacera isn't going to be playing until 2024. Just doesn't work out. Just doesn't make sense um, uh, for the time being. So with that, right wing and striker, Chukweze is is the other one. Isakin as well for, for Midland um, out, out in the uh, in the Danish league as well. So so you're really just sitting there saying, if Milan are going to pay up, the one that makes the most sense and probably most affordable could be Balogun. But my gut just tells me the way they do business, if they don't get the right price from Arsenal, they're just going to be moving on to a lower cost type of striker. Um, we'll see what happens, man. It's, it's really tough to gauge what's happening right now with the change of directors. But I would say Balogun more likely than Musa, and even then, Balogun is not likely at this rate. So I wanted to go into now into the United States uh, in an interesting debate that I kind of posed into yesterday, and you definitely had your uh, your opinion on it. And it's the impact on Lionel Messi coming to MLS because I think you know obviously we, we see him now at Publix, you know, getting a bunch of attention, right. and, and obviously just really getting that kind of messy mania here in Miami, not just the United States as a whole, but just, you know, how it all affects. And one of the questions that I pose to you, and, you know, I'll wait for you to to answer, and Joe, you can have your opinion afterwards, is this effect of Messi coming to the United States more famous than any athlete that has ever played for an American sports team? Because I think as Americans, and maybe not for us, but for, like, a lot of people, they don't know, and Martino, really, just they don't underestimate how big of an impact and really just importance someone like Lionel Messi has playing here in the United States. And that's that's a big, you know, it's it's big privilege for us to, to see that happening. Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't think also people understood your question. They were literally like just thinking like, oh, most famous athlete in America to play in America. No, like you literally said worldwide and they still can't read. They can't understand that aspect of it. Like I do doy like Michael Jordan is going to be bigger within the U.S. if you only account the U.S. If you compare it to soccer players who are joining in their mid to late 30s, like duh, like no crap, man. Like that's the most famous athlete to play in the U.S. in my opinion, strictly if you're looking at like there's. MJ is unparalleled. Like, I know that. Like, I don't need education from people that are older than me because they act like I can't look at a history book, despite the fact that you can just call them hypocrites because if they say, oh, it's not Pele, but they're just looking at it through the lens of what they were looking at. Like, I'm sorry, social media has changed completely everything. Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi are the most famous athletes that we have ever seen. And it's not any other player's fault. Like, if MJ was playing at this time, yeah, you could argue that, but he didn't. So that's what we have to look at with those facts. And then on top of it is brand. Yeah, it's insane. But the brand doesn't mean that he's more popular at this point. If you go to every single country in the world right now and you talk about who knows more players from any age group, from like eight years old to 50 year olds, right? Messi is more well known throughout all those demographic men and women. There's no denying it. And and the same thing would go for Cristiano Ronaldo if he played over here. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's messy. It's messy. It's the greatest player of all time. Like, like MJ, for his era, absolutely the GOAT. Um, 
whatever it's semantics if you argue with you know lebron fans but that, that's besides the point but there's no denying that messi if you take into account the social media era and what has been happening almost every single time he he comes he comes to the us and what we see him getting swarmed in publics getting swarmed outside of like clubs and other places and mj rightfully gets swarmed as well but if you go through every single country at this day and age messi is more recognizable he's more popular it's just the facts of the situation and what basketball was in the 90s what ba- what mj did for basketball is unparalleled no one has ever grown a sport from point a to point b ever like it's just it's unmatched like you can't do it but the but the level of growth that basketball had the capacity for is completely different to what messi was like messi was already playing the most popular sport in the world mj was not it wasn't even the most popular sport in america still isn't uh, NFL dominates, uh, American football dominates. So with that, like, it's clearly messy. Like, it's okay to admit that. Like, just get with the times. Like, just like MJ was more popular than Muhammad Ali was or Mickey Mantle or Babe Ruth. Like, it's just, it's obvious. But that's just the way things go. Media is going to constantly change. People out in Africa didn't have the access to that. Same thing with Asia. Same thing with South America. Like, they're, they're, the way he was known was incredible. But people don't understand the flaws in their arguments and what they're saying, like, oh, people still knew about MJ, despite the fact that not many people were able to watch him. So you're basically admitting that if you're able to watch Messi now and more people know about Messi, then that means more people know about him and he's more popular. Duh. Like, so like with that argument, it was just very funny for me to see that. And it's not even like disrespecting MJ. That's what like it, it's really funny how older generations just consider our generation soft for so many different things. But when you try and deliver facts about this and they're clutching their pearls about their legends and it's like, Mm. no one's disrespecting your legend. I'm just giving you straight up facts about the situation is that athletes these days are more popular, more well-known from a younger. And also like, we're not even factoring in when Messi started being puppet. Messi was known at 16. Most people, okay, that didn't follow college basketball didn't know a damn about who MJ was until he hit the shot on Georgetown, okay, in 1982. People just didn't know that. And again, he still, he was an all, he was a great player in college as well. He was an All-American. They still didn't realize who he was and the level that he rose to until he went to the NBA. So we're talking about his early 20s. Messi was already getting shouts for the best of all time at that point. So like, the comparison is 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 just hard to make, but also it's just it's just different, and and it's not a slight on MJ. I think people think take it as a slight as M, at, at MJ. Anytime you say someone's greater or more popular than him, because they're just biased to their generation. I have no dog in this fight. I'm not a Bulls fan. I don't hate the Bulls. I'm not a Barca fan. I'm not from Ar- I'm not Argentinian. Like there's no dog in this fight for me. I'm, I'm looking at it objectively and. The objectivity in this says Messi is clearly more popular, and that's all that needs to be said. I'll, I'll tell you, Martino, I'm going to jump in real quick because, you know, for the most part, I agree with you. Um, you know, uh, for me, I'm as far as basketball basketball goes, for me, it's Jordan. I know, like you said, they're Le- yeah. the LeBron people, and, and all, you know, yeah, it's Jordan. It, it is, you know, deal with it. Um, <laughs> having said that, Michael Jordan is not the most popular worldwide athlete to ever play a sport in this country. Um you yeah, know, and I, that and that's like the point that people just don't get. Like right. it's they think like strictly just played in the United States and known in the United States. Like that's right. not the point that Roberto was making. I think right. like everyone had that ton of vision. Just to like clarify because people still don't get it. But right. continue. I, I mean, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I, I think Muhammad Ali would have been bigger than Michael Michael Jordan, or was bigger than Michael Jordan. Okay, in terms of worldwide popularity. Um, sure. And and for me, at that point, I think Muhammad Ali is actually third on this list. Um, and, okay. and I, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the, the non-popular opinion. I'm going to put Lionel Messi at second on this list. I think there's one person in this, in the world that was more popular than Lionel Messi, which is, which is almost impossible. But my argument is that he did it in a time where, uh, there was no internet, there was no social media, there was no YouTube to go back and watch highlights. Um, it's Pele. For me, it's Pele. Um, the accomplishments that that he had at the World Cup on the world stage. You got to remember, Pele never played in in Europe. Okay, never played in Europe. Still widely considered. And I know there's going to be, and this will open a whole new can of worms. Um, many still consider him the greatest footballer ever. Um, and, and you know, and and he's certainly, you know, you wouldn't be wrong. Um, 
But for me, for Pele to be that wildly popular throughout the world without the advantages of social media and, and, and the Internet and that sort of thing, I think is a testament to what he did on the pitch that made him so popular. Um, you know, could, could Messi surpa- surpass that? Of course he could. I mean, he Messi's not done, right? And, and we'll have to see what Messi does after his career that also improves his popularity because that's one of the things Pele did. Um, Pele didn't finish when he was done playing soccer. He he still continued and did things. So he used to coach here in White Plains uh, down the down the road from me. Yeah, yeah. listen, I, I worked I worked with a guy that actually once I, well not I worked I still work with him. Um, once upon a time he was a limo driver in a former life and he drove Pele to the airport in New York. So yeah, I mean you know he was just he was a regular guy in New York City. Um, but I think that I think there can be the argument made that that Messi's number two because Pele was number one and it's going to be hard to supplant. Pele at number one because of his wild popularity, despite all the advantages that technically Messi has in terms of growing that popularity. So, but but yeah, but but I, that's the thing though. Like he has the advantages, and that's why he's more popular. Sure, like, that's just like you know, you know what I mean. Like we, if we we even go back further to like Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth didn't have televised games. Right. Pele did. You and, know what I mean? So like it's it's just the times. It's not because like Pele wasn't capable of it, yeah. but like. It's just the reality of the situation. Like, I'm sure, I'm almost positive. Like, think about how much more popular this sport's going to be in America. Mm-hmm. So, like, when the next great top name, like, who knows if Mbappe might even be more popular over the Like, it, it's certainly, like, on the table. Like, it's popular. It's, it's possible at this moment in time because of the exposure and the age in which he came up. I think he hurt himself because he's been at PSG. It's a little different. Mm-hmm. But, like... You know, like, and it's also like, I get your point, but it might be a little unfair to Messi to say, like, how would we know how popular Messi would have been back then when he's starring for Argentina and getting to World Cup finals with them? Like, the level of his ability could have been insane to be known worldwide because he would have just been someone like five, six, five, seven, dominating the world like we haven't seen. Like, Maradona was incredibly popular as well. Oh. I, and I also think, for argument's sake as well, I don't think there's anyone more popular than Cristiano Ronaldo in the world like, all time, like athlete, like any country. It's it's actually Cristiano Ronaldo. Like Cristiano Ronaldo has got more popularity than Kim Kardashian. Yeah, like, you know what I mean, like that that says a lot. Like he's just the most polarizing figure in this sport that mm-hmm. we've ever seen. Um, in terms of just like his looks, the, because even the women's aspect side of it, he's more well known. Like how popular he's going to be in the Middle East right now. Um, with what's going on over there, his popularity in Asia as well. South America, he's definitely not more popular than Messi, unfortunately yeah. for him. But just like everywhere he, he goes, he's so beloved. And he was playing for Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Like, good luck trying and Manchester United. So he's culturally, he's played for the two biggest clubs. And then on top of it with Juve, like, just, like I'm sorry, like what we've seen, like socially with him, it's it's insane and but like strictly if you talk to the topic of what Roberto was saying it's messy mm. but I, I totally understand the Pele arguments I like I respect it but it's just not it's just not the same yeah no it's it, it, it is apples and oranges absolutely just like we compare you know Babe Ruth with Barry Bonds um, it's apples and oranges um, you know in terms of the eras that they played in and and and, and the you know the the climate of the time of the world so um yeah it's 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 an interesting argument and and of course you, you know the problem are is, you on the babe is uh the best of all time train still or no? <laughs> no but you know it's yeah. you, you know huh? well you know he's a yankee so that counts um <laughs> yeah but you know, Otani as well kind of breaking all the records yeah. i mean you don't want to turn no, yeah, Joey Otani's doing some some incredible stuff because he's doing you know don't play against every race yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. Because even well, you know, you know, you're a baseball historian. Definitely under two listeners for this podcast are going to know who Josh Gibson was. <laughs> okay. Um, right. Josh, you know Josh Gibson. Sure. He was rumored to have over 800 home runs as a catcher in the Negro League. So, like at that point, it's like who, like who's to say, like, like what is the reasoning behind that those that league wasn't as good or had a lot better players than major league baseball at the time like you know like it's just so like shohei plays in the toughest era in mm-hmm. which they had everything um okay. and and i just think shohei by literal definition is the goat but like it, it's it's also difficult with barry because like we saw his body completely transform more than any athlete that we've ever seen mm-hmm. in a, like dude, like dude like he was 
like built like Zlatan, and then the next thing you know, he looks like Akin Fenwa a year later. Like, <laughs> like, dude, like, dude, he went from hitting 28 home runs to 73. Yeah. It's because of steroids. That's kind of unfair to a lot of other guys. But in the era in which everybody was using steroids, he was far and away better than anyone else. Like, it's just different. But, yeah, I mean, listen, I'm excited for Messi. I'm just curious. Oh, also the big news is isn't uh, uh, MLS teams allowed to play in Copa Libertadores uh, next year, right? Uh, That's coming up, yeah. It looks like it, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's incredible, that's and that doesn't great. happen without Messi. Think about, it. think of it. In my opinion, I don't think it does. So I agree, I agree. That I think the plan is that that Messi, you know, playing it into Miami, they they improve, they qualify, they get into Libertadores, and you get Messi playing back in Argentina somewhere. You know, could you imagine the uh, the 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 Rossing uh, Inter Miami match or something? You know, something crazy like that. Uh, the Monumentals full because of Messi, not you know, in Inter Miami. It, it, it's it was definitely because of that, you know. I, I can't see it not. Like, imagine them getting lined up with River or Boca, just any Argentine. Like, that's just. Can you imagine the rooting interest in those games? Like, how that would be. You know what I'm saying? Because like Messi has elevated himself to Maradona status. Yeah. I don't think you can ever surpass Diego over there. It's just impossible. You know what I mean? Um, but just like he's, I think he's at that level of respectability now. So like to, I I just want to see that happen because just. Again, that just like I think it also gives more respect to MLS. And now Inter Miami is, is a disaster at this moment. Mm-hmm. We'll see how they the only thing and Roberto loves when I do the uh, American comparisons to stuff. What this would be is what the uh, the St. Louis Blues did. If mm-hmm. if Inter Miami go on to win the championship, the uh, uh, St. Louis Blues. For those who don't know, when they won the Stanley Cup, they were sitting last place in January. Yeah. Man. And they go on to win the Stanley Cup is one of the greatest comebacks in season in sports history. To see Messi do this, Messi's just got to drag into Miami to the playoffs. And that's it. And then it just goes game by game. We have Messi. You don't. Let's see how this goes. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen. Joel Quenville. Um, Joel Quenville. He's a former Hartford Whaler. That's that's all I got to say about that. Martino, I want to close with some rapid fire questions for you. Um, really one word answers, you know, whatever comes to mind. First sure. one, Milan last season finished fourth. With their moves so far and their anticipated moves, will they finish higher or lower? And mm, window's not over. Um, higher. Higher. Uh, how many goals will Pulisic have at Milan? This season or? This season. Uh, go with seven. Okay. Uh, Musa. Uh, to to enter or somewhere? I'm sorry, to Milan or uh, somewhere else? Um, I think he'd leave. So yes. Okay, Balogun. To Milan? Mm. No, no. Mexico versus Panama in the Gold Cup final tomorrow night. Who's the winner? Mexico. Will the U.S. women win the World Cup? Mm. I don't know too much about the other teams, so I'll just go with yes as a homer. It would be a, it would be historic. Out of ten, on a scale of one to ten. How successful will Messi be at Inter Miami? Um, just him signing there is a ten, so ten. Fair enough, Martino. Thanks for joining us on the show, man. Um, always fantastic to catch up with you. We'll have to we'll have to do another baseball, hockey. Um, who's the greatest <laughs> podcast of all time? Uh, sometime soon. Uh, part of my take. Part of my take, man. Yeah. All, dude, all the best to you, and uh, and I always look forward to having you on, my friend. Of course, love you guys. Appreciate it. And special thanks again to Martino for joining us on the show. Roberto, uh, before we jump into our match of the week and our trivia answer, uh, we do have the kickoff of the Women's World Cup this week. Uh, as we had mentioned uh, in the rapid fire with Martino, the U.S. women uh, currently, you know, number one in the world, favorites to win this tournament, would be the third consecutive w- uh, World Cup. It would be historic uh, as no team, men's or women's, has ever won three World Cups in a row. Um the team is, is comprised mainly, uh, as we had talked about earlier, of NWSL players, except for one, Lindsay Horan, coming over uh, from Lyon. Um, and she's one of the more experienced players. She's got 129 caps uh, under her belt. I think that is, uh, just looking at the list quickly, two, three, four, fifth on the list right now. Um, one thing for this team that I think they're going to miss is uh, is Mallory Swanson, who picked up the ACL injury uh, just a few months ago. And she is going to be out. She had 32 goals and 88 caps. I mean, so that it's a big loss for them. But obviously the usual suspects are going to be there. Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, um, you know, are all available there up, up front. Trinity Rodman, who had a great match against Wales uh, in the sendoff. 
um, you know, looks like she's going to definitely play the part. Only 21 years old. So um, she's she's looking fantastic. So I think the U.S. The US has a good mix of you know, experience on this team. They have a good mix of youth. Uh, and the question is, and I think you've posed this to me and I pose it back to you. Um, has the world caught up? We, we kind of saw hints of this at the last world women's world cup. Um, the U S was able to overcome, but we, we really saw the world catching up to, uh, the U S women's national team has the, has the world caught up to them. And, and, you know, what do you think? Can they repeat and be three-time champions? Well, that's that's the big question, I think, because obviously when you look at a lot of teams, you know, with kind of the popularity of the Women's Champions League, I'm looking at the odds right now, USA at plus 250, but only England at plus 350. So that's a 100 plus gap. And then even you go even further, go to Spain at plus 450 and Germany at plus 650. So that's plus that's 400 amongst the the top four so it, mm-hmm. it's going to be a close one it's not going to be as easy as one would say i think american fans need to understand that that just because we are the two-time reigning champions i think those that do understand that it's it's not going to be easy whether or not it will be obviously i think for the united states if they don't win it will be a failure regardless if they go into the group stage it kind of like that brazil mentality like it doesn't matter if you're the the 32nd team or the second best team if you don't win here, that's going to be a failure. And I think that's for the U.S. I mean, England have a really good side. They've won the last Euros. Spain, you know, they have the best, for, for some of the best player in the world, in Alexis Gutierrez. Germany have always been a strong team and, and whatnot. So I think it's going to be close, man. It really is. And But, I mean, obviously, why would you not bet against the, uh, the two-time defending champions with a lot of these players who've been here before, have won it. They know what it's like to play in these type of games. So I'm going to say it's going to be a three-peat for the U.S. Yeah. Um, that's my bold prediction, and I think anyone else would say otherwise. I don't think I've seen anyone say anything else, but it, it won't be easy. I'll, I'll tell you that. I no. think there's going to be a lot of close games, particularly against the big t- teams if they do face an England, a Germany, a France, Spain, whatever it may be. So I think it'll be very, very tough, but I think ultimately the United States will become a five-time winner mm-hmm. and a, um, a three-peat in the first time ever. Yeah, you know, obviously they, they had a Group E with Vietnam, the Netherlands, and Portugal. Uh, obviously, the Dutch is going to be the toughest team in that group. Uh, the Portuguese are, you know, are certainly making strides. But I, if I remember correctly, I thought I saw that Vivian Maidema is is out of this World Cup. I think she picked up injury. I, I she don't, is. Yep. Yeah, yeah so, she's not in this one. Um, so that is a big loss for the Dutch side. Uh, and and I think uh, I think the U.S. can definitely manage this group. Um, you know, I, I think they should be able to get through winning this group. And then we'll have to see knockout stages. Like you said, there's a Germany somewhere. There's an England somewhere. There's a Spain somewhere. Uh, there's a France somewhere. And and those are all going to be really, really tough teams. Um, you know, Brazil's not going to be a pushover either. So you have some even of the, the host. You have you have Australia with Sam Kerr. I mean, that can motivate an entire <laughs> an entire yeah. team when you when you're on the. When you have the uh, when you're the host country, exactly, exactly. You know, we've seen that happen. So, um, you know, it, it is not going to be easy. The third one is not going to be the easiest one um, for them. But I think I think they can be successful, and I do think that they can uh, they can certainly win this. So, let's um let's table that. And obviously, we have them. We, we have women's World Cup heavy in the match of the week schedule this week. Um, let's start off match of the week with the Gold Cup final coming up tomorrow night. Mexico and Panama Sunday at seven thirty p.m. I know we didn't talk about. The, the failure for the U.S. men's national team to get to that final. We can talk about this some other time, but uh, uh, it's Mexico, it's Panama, Sunday, 7.30 p.m. Then we kick off the World Women's World Cup with the first match, New Zealand hosting Norway, 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Thursday. Friday, the U.S. take on Vietnam at 9 p.m. Eastern. And then on Saturday, England and Haiti will kick off at 5.30 a.m. Eastern. Set your alarm clocks for that one. Roberto, you gave me a trivia question earlier, uh, if you wouldn't mind repeating it. Yes, I will. So going on to Transfer Market, I gave you this kind of new updated list of the top 10 most valuable players, uh, according to them. So my question to you is, out of this top 10, how many different countries are represented? Okay. Well... This is this is tough, and and I'm and I, I'm failing to come up with the rest of the countries. Um, but I, I'm going to give you a number because yep. I think there are, there are countries with multiple players in that top ten. That's so I am going to give you a number of eight countries. It is not eight. Okay, higher or lower? Lower. Lower. So it's wow. Then there's multiple multiples. Um, I, last guess six. 
Seven. Seven, right in the middle, of course. You know, I have Norway um, because obviously um, uh, Erling Holland. I have France because I think uh, not only Kylian Mbappe, but I think... Um, I, th- I think Charlemagne's on that list, but I'm not positive. Uh, but I, but I have France as a multiple on there. Is so, that- so yeah, I'll, I'll go on that. Holland is number one at yeah. 180 million euros. Yeah. Kylian Mbappe is number two at 180 million euros. Those are the but he is, but he is the only Frenchman on the list. Really? Okay. Um, I, I have Brazil as well. Um, I got to think Vinny Jr.'s on there, and I'm, you know, I don't know if Neymar would be on there still or not, but I would say at least. So I'll, I'll give you a hint. He is on that list, but there's also one more Brazilian in the top more, ten. Wow. Okay. And I'm who am I missing? Um, if I give the club away, it's gonna, it's gonna give it away. It's not Gabriel Jesus. So uh-huh. all right. Think younger. Think of a younger player. Oh God, Brazil. You're very close. You said, the fact that you said Vinicius Jr. should say enough. Oh, um, Rodrigo, right? Rodrigo, right at yeah. number ten at hundred million. Vinicius Junior in number three okay. with one hundred fifty. And that's where I, that's where I kind of stopped. I don't know that are, there are Argentinians on this list. There might be, but I don't know if there are. Um, there are no Argentinians. Yeah, see, I knew that was going to be the case. Um, I don't think there are any English players either. So you know, could we go Spanish with Gavi? Well, there is a Spanish player. Okay, so you got that, okay. and it's not Gavi. Is it Pedri? It is Pedri. Hundred okay. million. You said Englishmen. There are three of them. Really? Wow. All right, you'll have to give them to me. All right. So at number four is Jude Ballingen oh, uh, at 120 million. At number five is Bukayo Saka at 120 million. Okay. And the last one of the top 10, Phil Foden, 110 million. Okay. Yeah. That's... So there's, there's two names missing. And if I give you the nationalities, you're, it's going to give it away. So okay. Oh, the, okay. Uh, yeah. Go ahead and give them to me. It, yeah. So the, the, the first one is a Nigerian. And of course, that is Victor, Victor Osman at 120 yeah. million. And in seventh place, the last player is German Jamal Musiala. Musiala. So the top 10 goes as follows Erling Haaland, Kylian Mbappe, Vinicius Jr., Jude Bellingham, Bukayo Saka, Victor Oshiman, Jamal Musiala, Phil Foden. Pedri and Rodrigo are your top 10 most valuable players according to Transfer Market. Fantastic stuff. All right, my friend, nothing left on the list. Let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So for episode 394 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Martino Puccio for joining us on the show. We are off next week um, and we'll be returning back soon with more coverage of the Women's World Cup. We'll be talking about the preseason and start to give you uh, start to prepare you for the 23-24 season. So for episode 394 of Low Limit Football, I'm Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.